Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia, and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today we have on with us Dr. Holly Richmond. Dr. Holly is a somatic psychologist, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and a certified sex therapist, and she is here to answer all of our questions. We're so excited. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Holly. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be with you guys. When, when you contact me, I was like, oh, this just feels like such a perfect fit. So again, thanks for the ask. Of course. Oh my God. We're honored because we've heard Dr. Holly Richmond on quite a few podcasts and she's so incredible and we haven't yet gotten to this topic really on our show. So we're so excited that she's here to break it down with us. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely in your 20s, we'll get into this a little bit later on since we have a long list of questions. (laughs) A long list. But the topic of sex in general, it can just be kind of hard for people to talk about. I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely there are aspects of shame that come up. There are aspects of insecurity. So many different things that we're going to dive into today. So it's really helpful to have someone that is a professional to talk about these things, to give us tips, to give us advice. And more more than anything, what we want to do here is make people feel less alone and normalize so many things that we don't recognize are are really common in relationships, whether it be long term, whether it be one night, whatever it may be. So yeah, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> Perfect. So um, Dr. Holly, go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and if you don't mind saying how old you are. Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is is Holly Richmond. Um, I'm from New York and was in California for 20 years, but came back to the East Coast about two and a half years ago. So I'm talking to Welcome you from back. New York. <laughs> yes, yes, um, which is fantastic. I Let's do the personal things first. So I just turned 50. I had a COVID-50 birthday party in April. Thank you. I'm a mother of two. I had my children much later in life. So I have a four and a half year old and a six and a half year old. They keep me very busy. I am licensed in three states. So I've been working online for about four years now. So COVID really hasn't changed anything about the way I practice. Now for my New York clients, some of them want in person. So I will see them maybe quarterly uh, in person in the city. But in general, I've been working online and it just, it's honestly more convenient for everyone, especially in a place like LA or New York, where it can take you a while to get to your therapist and people just don't have time. Oh yeah. And it makes it more, I feel like it makes it more accessible in a way for some people that wouldn't go to therapy. If they're like, well, at least I could do it from my house. You know, I think that's a great thing. It just opens so many doors. It does. It does. So I think that's it. The other personal, um, I was a journalist for 15 years before I became a psychologist. And that's a little bit of a story um, about the sex therapy route. So this is really, you know, this is a later in life career. So I always tell my younger clients and my younger friends, like, you don't have to choose. Like you really, you don't have to choose and stick with it. Like do what feels good in the moment and change your mind when you feel like it. Ugh. We love that. We talk about that all the time. <laughs> Literally all the time. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, especially to have in, such an example of someone that's deeply passionate about their field and very well informed on their field and found this path later on in their life is, is very inspiring because we want to have it all together 
today. Today. <laughs> we don't. We and, do and, not. It's, and it's okay not to. So I think that that's really, really cool. So since you kind of mentioned that you were a journalist first and all that stuff, what exactly led you to becoming a certified sex therapist and somatic psychologist, all that good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So in my mid thirties, I read a book called True Notebooks by Mark Salzman. And it was about him te- teaching creative writing in a boys detention facility in Los Angeles. And I just was like, I'm doing that. Um, and I literally called girls detention facilities around Los Angeles and said, I want to come teach. And they were kind of like, oh my we don't have any positions. And I was like, no, for free, you know, just let me come in and do this for free. Yeah. So I did it once or twice a week for almost three years and it changed the course of my life. So I was a journalist writing about beauty, fashion, health, and fitness, celebrity profiles. Like it sounds really great on paper and it it was for a while, but I have such a clear memory of getting an, an assignment from my editor on lip gloss. And I was like, if I have to write another fucking article on lip gloss, I'm going to lose my shit. That's like weird. I just, I just couldn't. I did write, no, no. And I did write the article, but it just let me know. And I love lip gloss. Like I'm a huge fan of lip gloss. Um, I just knew I needed to do something that felt a little bit more, I don't know, just a little bit more like me. Yeah. So um, started teaching in the girls uh, detention facility, just creative writing, not really therapy, but I ended up inadvertently doing therapy because they wrote to me about their stories of sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape, gang rape, you can imagine. And I realized I didn't have the skills to deal with what they needed me to. So I just decided to talk to several people and decided to go back to school to get my master's in clinical psychology. Didn't quite feel like I was done there. Um, So did the PhD in somatic psychology to really understand how the body works with trauma and human sexuality. And then I did the sex therapy certification on top of that. Oh, so interesting. I'm I'm so glad I got to hear the story of how you got there because it really makes it really makes a lot of sense. And when you get to, you know, speak I think that's something that me and Brenna are learning through this podcast so much that when you get to speak to people and you really hear their stories and their struggles, you you understand humans so much better and what mm-hmm. humans need. And yeah. I, I wish there were more of you. I think that's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, thank you. But I mean, they saved me as much as I did anything for them. You know, it was really just such a, it wasn't like I knew what I was going to do. Like yeah. I just followed the next step and then I followed the next step and then I followed the, and this, you know, this took six and a half years for me to get from starting the master's program to, to finishing all that. So it's, it was a haul. And I always say, if I knew in the beginning how long and kind of diligent I would have to be, I don't, I don't even know if I would have done it, but you know, once you're in it, you're like, well, I can't stop now. I've already spent all this time, done all the money. So yeah. So, and and I'm just thrilled. Like this feels like the career. I know there will be different iterations of it, but this is, this is home. Oh, so cool. And definitely, we absolutely, maybe in the future, another future collaboration would love to talk yeah. about kind of that piece with like traumatic sex experiences, because we know so many people on this planet have dealt with that, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, we really think you'd be so, so powerful in helping people deal with that. And yeah, I'm we're certain. already booking our next episode. I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm Holly available on this day. Um, But today we that kind of wanted topic. to jump yeah. into, yeah. we wanted to jump into some stuff that honestly, a lot of our friends were talking about. We literally 
literally said, we pulled our friends. We pulled, yeah. we pulled them. We're like, ladies, Perfect. we're having Dr. Holly Richmond on. You've heard her on this episode and this episode of <laughs> Press Send Podcast and probably other ones. So like, what are we thinking here? And the cool part is it had us open up to these types of topics with our friends, which isn't always the case. So we're excited to dive into those. Yeah. Perfect. Let's do it. And that's kind of the best segue for the first question that we have. Me and Brenda are pretty lucky. We're pretty open with our friends, but for women who don't feel super comfortable with their friends talking about sex, but want to start to open up those conversations, do you have any advice for how women can start to open up that conversation with like either their friends or a mom or a sister or whoever they are wanting to talk about it with? Absolutely. So I think the first thing is to know your boundaries and level of comfort with who you're sitting with. So I think that's going to be different for your friends sitting with you versus sitting with their mom. Um, In some cases, and it could go either way, more open with these people, less open with these people, but really feel out how how you're responding to being in their company. I hate hearing when people are like, oh, my boundaries, I own, I overstepped my own boundaries. I wish I had put up a boundary there and I didn't. So this is just me reminding everyone, you don't have to be at the comfort level of anyone else. Mm-hmm. Stay where you are in the comfort level. And with so many of your questions, I'm going to do my best to expand, but there's almost no other way to do it than to practice. So I think step one is reading about human sexuality. Step two is listening to podcasts about human sexuality. Step three is wondering about your own experiences and bringing your questions to friends, a mom, whoever it is that you feel best talking about it to. Pick your time, pick your place. I always feel like in person is better than through text. Mm, Yes. Yeah. I love that because especially the listening to podcasts, because that's been something that's been so helpful to me. It's like, oh, if like they can talk about it on this show, then like I could talk about it with my friend. Yeah. I love that. Definitely. And I, and we kind of started off talking about this earlier, but I think it it just, it makes people feel less alone because it's a topic that I think people feel a lot of fear in opening up about, even for us. Like I was like, oh gosh, like we're doing an episode with Dr. Holly. You know, I don't know how our solo episodes are going to go. What are we going to talk about? What if mom listens? What if, like you have all these Um, what ifs, but it's it's such a normal part of life. And Mm -hmm. we're kind of just like, we shield ourselves from having these types of conversations in case they're uncomfortable or in case we say the wrong thing. So we're kind of jumping all over the place with our questions, but is there, in your opinion, like a blanket definition for a healthy sex life? And how can we start to define that for ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. I know what good sex is. Now, a healthy sex life, that is so individual. I have clients who are asexual, meaning they never want to have sex, that are having a healthy sex life. Mm. Like that is how they define it. Mm. I have clients who are like, oh, if I'm not having sex every day with my partner, then I feel like we're totally off the rails and we're not having a healthy sex life. This is so variable and it's variable throughout your lifespan right? You might go through periods where you're not feeling sexy or like you want to have sex at all. And then other times when your libido is supercharged. So there's not an amount. There's a hundred percent, not an amount. I can tell you what's normal, but well, it's hard to even say what's normal. Sometimes I don't trust the data on this. Most of my clients come and say, if we were having sex twice a week, I would feel like we were being healthy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right. But this is very different as you guys know, for long-term couples versus couples in the honeymoon phase and that limerence phase. Yeah. So when things are hot and heavy. Good sex. So my definition of good sex is this, and it's really my my umbrella of sex positivity. All sex is good sex as long as it's consensual and pleasurable. It really only has to check two boxes, yeah. consent and pleasure. If you feel like it's too kinky, check your boxes. Is it consensual? Yep. Is it pleasurable? Yep. Let yourself off the hook about it. 
Like yeah. people do such interesting things with sex. I, I look at it from a place of curiosity and interest and in how the psyche connects to human sexuality and how people are expressing themselves. So that equation of weird or not good enough or too much or too little, it just falls away if you put it under that umbrella of sex positivity. I love yeah. that. I feel like especially with the the first part of the answer to the question, I think a lot of us are comparing our sex life to other people's and it's like oh like that couple's having sex like three times a week we're only having sex once every other week or and, and even within your relationship if we can think that other people are having you know that there should be a certain amount of times of the week that you're having sex or you know whatever the un, under that umbrella is yeah. and you can get we can compare ourselves to ourselves of like, well, last week we had sex four times and this week we didn't have sex at all. Which is normal, right? Yeah, depending on what's going on in your life. Yeah, yeah there's some other questions in here, but it's just, we're so, for some reason, programmed to think sex lives outside of ourselves, Yeah, right? Like there's us, there's me, Holly, and then there's having sex. That is 100% not true. So sex and self aren't dualistic. I am my sexuality, my sexuality is me. So we really can't quantify what what works for us is not going to work for someone else. It's just, it's such a personal experience for where we are within our own health. That's so yeah. important to hear. I yeah, think. I yeah. think it's so important. And kind of off of that second piece of your, your answer to our previous question, our friends were saying to us before, they were like, okay, can, seriously, can you possibly ask for us? Like, why do I feel the two things, right? Post, <laughs> we're going to jump it around, but post like, uh, like shame after like, what, what do you call it? Dirty, dirty talk, talk in, in the mm. bedroom. Like, why do I feel so much shame around that? And the second thing they asked was, I, like, I feel weird choking and slapping. Why do I like it? Literally these two questions. And then why do I feel shameful mm -hmm. after it? Questions. I'm not even kidding, Dr. Holly. Right before we jumped on with you, these were the two text messages we received. <laughs> I love them. This is so important. The first part takes me back to where we were at the beginning about why it's hard to talk about sex is because we have a broken education system when it comes to sex education, meaning we yes. don't get any. Yes, we, we get none. <laughs> right. And then you overlay that with religious beliefs, which mm -hmm. those are great, but generally attached to religious beliefs is shame about sexuality. You just don't talk about it. And I feel like in our culture still, it's getting a little better, but women have two choices. You can be a prude or you can be a slut. Yep. Right. So when I like choking, when I like dirty talk, I feel myself scooting over into that slut area and things that my parents always shamed me about. And then I feel immediately bad, but damn, it felt good. And I loved it. And I felt so empowered when I'm doing it. But then I think about the objective view, what would other people think? And that's where I get into the shame. Mm, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. How do we start to release that? Stay in your body. And again, consent, pleasure. Yep. 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 Constantly coming back, Come back to, that, to. Yeah. that checklist. Right. Right. And, and two, like I'm assuming these people are having sex in private. Um, so really sussing out the difference between secrecy, which is where shame lives. Like if we're having sex in secret and we're keeping secrets from, I don't know, even our friends or, you know, I love dirty talk. Even if I'm not telling my partner that, that feels like a secret, which can lead directly to shame versus privacy, which we all deserve around sexuality. But there's nothing secretive or bad about it. It's just private. Yeah. yeah. And I think the more we normalize that, like you said before, 
there are so many interesting things that can be done and people try so many things they you just don't always hear about it so Mm -hmm. it doesn't make you weird for liking that stuff and something that that people bring up too is this like animalistic type of like I guess feeling about sex sometimes um Mm -hmm. it's something that comes up in our conversations because they're like isn't it kind of weird that like this is I don't know that's that's something we are animals but like it's it's it yeah I don't know it's fascinating it is and and one of women's top fantasies is being taken so you know the old like um drugstore like those cheesy novels that you know are sometimes on the (laughs) end of the drugstore kiosk those romance novels they're there and women read them because being taken So being so desired, um, someone wanting us so much that they're rough with us, that they just take us, they can't keep their hands off of us. For a lot of women, that's a huge charge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Speaking of women pleasure, (laughs) I want to talk about orgasms. Yes. Um, So we know that it can be maybe sometimes a little bit more difficult for women to achieve orgasm than men when it comes to penetration or other types of sex, I guess, too. What are, do you have any tips for, for how we can change this, how we can increase our pleasure, all of that fun stuff? Yes, I do. And you're probably not going to like the answer, but it's um, (laughs) going into a sexual experience without the pressure on yourself or expectation to have an orgasm. And I promise I'm going somewhere with this. So if you just go in with the desire to have pleasure, like feeling someone's hands on your skin, feeling their mouth on you, enjoying the smells, the tastes, all the good feels. And just like if an orgasm comes, an orgasm comes, but taking that expectation of performance, a lot of times that's where it comes from, away from yourself and just sinking into the pleasure. Just practice a few times with that. And usually the orgasm will follow because you're like, well, I had a great time even if I didn't have an orgasm and I'd love to have an orgasm. So to answer your question, the next level, bring a toy in. So we know that less than 25% of women can have an orgasm without direct clitoral stimulation, right? So 70, around 75% of women need direct clitoral stimulation. That's a big percentage. <laughs> it's a big percentage. So we have to pay attention to that and the orgasm gap, which is for every three orgasms a man has in, in heterosexual sex, a woman will only have one. And to be very honest with you, I think that's a high number. And that does not happen with gay couples. There, there is no gap. They're aligned. She has one. She has one. If he has one, he has one. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I never even thought about that. I I never thought about that either. And kind of speaking of toys, what advice would you give to people? I feel like there's this idea that, oh, my partner might be offended if I say that maybe they're not doing enough for me if I, you Mm -hmm. know, ask to bring toys into the bedroom. So how would you go about having that conversation? I think it has to be an and, not an either or. So sometimes you have sex without the toy and you really are diligent about giving your partner instructions in a very compassionate and you know nice way, but trying it without the toy. And then sometimes saying, I feel like you're having my toy tonight. Um, yeah. I always, I'm such a huge proponent of masturbation to, to really help teach ourselves what we need to have an orgasm. So practice on your own, but never practice in the same way all the time. So meaning don't always use the t- same toy. Don't always lay on your back or on your stomach, mix it up. Because then when you get into the bedroom with your partner, you have this variety of positions you can use. And most of us have one position where like, ah, that almost always does it every time. Fine. But I just don't want that to be the only thing on the menu. Yeah. And what, but what if you, you do ask your partner to, you do want to introduce that and your partner is resistant? 
Um, approach him with or her with curiosity and just say, what is it about this? Because if that was me, if I was the, the woman who wanted to bring in a toy, I would be like, I feel like that means you're not prioritizing my pleasure or I can't use my voice about what I need in the yeah. bedroom. And I do not want to hurt your feelings. You're, you are good enough. I love our experience together, but sometimes I need my toy to get myself over the edge. And it honestly doesn't have anything to do with you and what you're not doing right, right. or, you know, what you are or aren't doing. This is just what I need. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really important. I think also kind of the way you framed it is so perfect in saying this has nothing to do with, you know, just me or whatever. It's really like opening some new doors for both of us. Maybe we'll love it. Maybe we'll hate yeah. it, but at least right. we'll know, you yeah. know? Yep. So I think that's yeah. right. you might not even know if you're going to like it or not. Yeah. Right. And there's some great couples vibrators that go over, you know, the shaft if the if if it's a penis and a vagina. So go over the shaft of the penis. So he'll yeah. feel vibration as well. And then the edge of it sits on her clitoris. So she feels it as well. So he could love it. So yeah. I'm just like, if, if everyone can just be open to trying things, as long as again, pleasurable, consensual, yes. I don't oh, think there's a lot of risk. Yeah. I love yeah. that. You have to put it on a t-shirt, Dr. Howie. <laughs> yes. Oh, I should. I don't know why you oh. haven't yet. Yes. I should. We'll help I'm you. on it. Perfect. Okay, I'm going to hold you guys to that. Um, but this really does lead into my next question about being confident to bring it to ask those questions. How about cultivating confidence in the bedroom? As a woman, I know a lot of women, we're very conscious of our bodies, how we're looking, um, if there's certain things that we want to ask for, like going back to that choking or slapping, mm-hmm. or how do we cultivate that confidence to ask for what we want and to feel confident about ourselves while we're doing it. Yeah. So, so two things. The first is let's talk about, yeah. So women in general, almost all partners I've talked to, whether they're male partners or female partners or non-binary partners, if they're in bed with someone naked, they're just thrilled to be in bed with someone naked. Um, We pick ourselves apart so much more than our partners do. I mean, think about the last time you were in bed with your partner, where you sit in there, it's sitting there going, my gosh, she's gained a little weight or she's her butt looks, whatever. No, we're like, we're all in our own heads. which is good and not good, yeah. right? So again, I always encourage people to focus on sensation, to really try to let yourself off the hook for that 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour that you're gonna have the sexual experience and just appreciate your body for all of these good feelings that it's bringing to you, appreciate your partner's body. I honestly just do not hear partners say, oh, I wish my partner looked like this. It's, it just doesn't come up that much. It really doesn't. Nice to hear. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we can be so caught up in, oh, how do I look at this angle or at this angle? That just takes away from, like you said, the sensation from being in the moment. And it's already hard enough for, for women to you know, for actually for anyone to get out of their heads. And that's a big piece. Right. I'm sure this does go for men too. Yeah. And that's a big piece as to, you know, as to why we, we feel stressed and, and can't be in the moment. So Um, Yeah, I think that's really important for sure. And And I love that you did mention men too, because for them, they've got body image and they've got size issues, right? Yep. Am I big enough? Yeah. I um, am a huge proponent of porn. I prescribe it for subcouples and it's done some damage as far as expectations for young people if that's their sex education because they're not getting it at school of of what sex is supposed to be and what we're all supposed to look like. It is a show. It is pure and simple entertainment and performance and it's edited and cut and put together and the angles and the lighting. Um, That is not real sex. And again, watch it if you like it, but don't expect that performance to show up in your bedroom. 
Totally. I think that that's so important because I feel like we keep hearing, you know, a lot of like the younger kids who have access to the computers, like so much younger than we even did, like how that can totally, if that's all you're seeing, because you're not talking about it in school, you're not talking about it, you know, with someone that is trustworthy, then it's so easy to believe that that's just what it is. Just like kind of how Instagram works with body image or makeup or, you know, like if you're constantly being yeah being shown one version of something and that's your reality that's mm-hmm. what you believe yeah. it's yeah. it's supposed to be like that's, yeah that's so interesting and yeah. kind of switching gears a little bit mm-hmm. um the same topic of course but <laughs> for our friends you know there are people in their 20s who've experienced p- plenty of sexual encounters there are people who've had one partner and there are people who've had none so how can women who are still a virgin today that are listening to this and feel some shame around that how can they release that shame amount how can we release shame for having quote unquote too much sex in some people's eyes and then also in not having enough in people's eyes in regards to how many partners yes how many partners sorry yeah Uh, is there a winning number like again (laughs) i feel like we're in this double bind it's either prude slut or prude whore madonna whore you know so um there isn't a right number. Um, one of my specialties in the last four years has been working with adult virgins. Um, so this is men and women. It is happening more and more, namely, I feel, because of technology. There's a few other reasons as well. Um, but again, it's the watching porn and be like, oh, my God, if that's what I'm supposed to do, I have no idea how to do that. So then they get into these huge spirals of anxiety and it just shuts down their ability to connect in an intimate way. So really... Um, I want to normalize that there are more and more adult virgins every day. I think your generation, maybe people a little bit older, you are having less sex than any generation in recorded history. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah. I heard that yeah. recently. Yeah. So this is not like, so I don't want a listener out there to feel like she is an anomaly because she's not. This is happening to to so many people. Um, I like to get off the dating apps and go to um, Meetup. You know, just like go to apps where you're out and doing something, go out with your friends and, um, you know, it's COVID right now. So when you sorry. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you can, um, but it's really just getting out there and practicing, meeting people in person, putting your devices down. I, I, I'm such a huge fan of technology and I am a sex tech consultant, but when we're always here instead of here, and I'm doing like an eye to eye connection for, for listeners out there, it just, it takes away from our ability to really be intimate. Yeah, it, it does. It has Definitely. to. Go out and practice. <laughs> Go yeah. out and practice meeting people, really without the intention of hooking up. Just get out there because the more people yeah. you meet, you know, the more, yeah. the more comfortable you'll feel. Right. And when you're going with that intention to be like, I need to find someone, it right. can be so debilitating and scary. Yeah. But if you go yeah. in and it's just like, I'm just going to meet people and just going to make connection. Yeah. I feel like that's like such a nicer yeah. way to go a totally about it. A different way of framing it. It definitely lessens the Less pressure, pressure right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of pressure, um, <laughs> initiating sex for women can sometimes be scary. So what it, what what tips do you have for women that want to initiate sex but are hesitant or, mm-hmm. I don't know, get in their heads, nervous? Yeah. With that fear of kind of, you know, even if it's someone you've been with for a long time, like what if, what if they're not interested and yeah, they, if reject they reject me? me Mm-hmm. Clearly, it's relevant. <laughs> yes, this is this happens to so many people, and I love that you said even in long-term relationships. So, r- really, 
there's a piece of knowing your partner and um, judging the mood, you know, using all of our skills of, of empathy and social intelligence, all of those things to really not set ourselves up to fail. And I think body language is probably the best way to go about like that gentle step into initiating. So go over and sit on your partner's lap, go up and put your arms around her. Um, you know, you could be even less subtle and walk out in lingerie, right? Or walk around the house naked and they're probably <laughs> going to get the picture. Um, this fear of being rejected. Um, if it happens, if a lot of my clients say I've tried all of that and he just doesn't, he just doesn't respond to me. So I'm so sick of being rejected. I'm just not even going to try anymore. That's when the conversation has to happen. Yeah. Um, and I encourage people to lead with the phrase similar to, Hey, I'm curious about why dot, 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 or, Hey, I, I've been wondering um, what's happening with our sex life. And are you happy with it? Because I just, I feel like I'm getting rejected a little bit lately. And that's so hard for me. I love you so much. And I want us to be together. But if, when you lead with curiosity, you keep your partner out of defensiveness rather than saying, we never have sex. You're treating me like shit. Like immediately he or she is going to be like, oh my God, now, now they're feeling insecure and yeah, like they're not enough. Definitely. And I feel like there are two little pieces that stand out to me about that is the first piece is, um, in my personal experience, I've been like, I've noticed that all of these fears of being rejected or what if you're not desired, you know, they hold a lot of weight for us. Cause we're like, oh, mm-hmm. does that make me unlovable or unattractive? And we internalize it so differently, but I've found, and I've heard in other situations too, that sometimes your partner can internalize your lack of initiation as you not being interested in them. So it's this like double-edged, yeah, it's yeah. like this weird, this weird dance. And then when you do initiate, there's all this fear buildup. But then when you do, mm-hmm. they're they love it. <laughs> so you know, there's that it's- one piece. Um, and then the other piece that kind of stood out to me is I feel like we have this this story in society that's like, oh, well, all men are, are animals. All men are pigs. So, you know, they're they're always going to want sex. So then if someone doesn't, you're like, well, what the heck is wrong with me? You know, mm-hmm. um, so those two things really stand out. I love that you mentioned that since 2000, mid 2016, I saw a trend of women coming into my office and saying my male partner is not having as much sex as I want to. Mm. I am feeling rejected. Can we want to talk to you because we want to get on the same page about sex. This is not a male woman thing. It puts a lot of pressure on men to have to always be in the mood. Who's always in the mood? People have lives, right? People have stressors, people. So I feel like that's unfair to men. Um, It really, it comes down to communicating and not being able afraid, you know, being afraid to talk about this delicate subject. Yeah, I feel like that's such like an old kind of way of thinking yeah. that like yeah. you know, the men always are in the mood yeah. and especially now like when especially with our generation everybody is anxious all the time we're all on anxiety yeah. medication. Yep. Who knows? Like, yeah, and it comes into play, and because we kind of still have that old vision of it, it it's not really matching up with where we are. Like, yeah. like you said, our generation is having much less sex than ones before us, and it when you take a step back to think about it, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, that kind of all makes a little bit of sense. It's all kind of all working together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And I think not initiating disempowers women in the long run. Yeah, we need to practice initiating. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like. The, a good majority of what I'm learning from Dr. Holly is try, like try, whether it's initiating, try new things, try new toys and have honest and open conversations because that's the only way you're going to know. Like you, even if it's about expanding what it is that you're doing in the bedroom, like you could have all these thoughts, oh, I want to try that. I want to try that. And if you're not sharing with your partner, then like 
you know, how are you going to know if that's something they're even open to? Maybe they are. Maybe they've been waiting for you to bring it up. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. No matter how long you've been with your partner, they can't read your mind. That's true. So people obviously want to feel desired. So do you have any tips for someone whose partner is not making them feel desirable all the time? Other than having a conversation again? Oh, gosh. Um, That can be so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I really, there's not a lot of ways around this. So how are you not feeling desired? What do you need to feel desired? So answering those questions for yourself before you go to your partner, I feel desired when you touch me and I feel like we're just not having enough, even affectionate touch. Um, I feel desired when you give me compliments. You haven't told me I looked pretty in weeks. An example yeah. is nice because then they don't have the yes. excuse to be like, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Yes. And then yes. they have that expectation too of being like, well, you haven't done what we just talked about last time. And they're like, I don't really, like, I thought I did, you know, because yeah. we, right. we have different brains. So mm-hmm. um, effort and that, that's like a very specific way of sharing exactly what it is yeah. that we need. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you've got to figure that out for yourself exactly. first before you have an ask about it. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I love that. Because yeah. yeah, maybe we don't even know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I need to ask myself. <laughs> um, but this also might be another, you guys need to have a conversation kind of answer. But um, for couples that have been in long-term relationships and are feeling attraction starting to slip or they're not having as much sex as they used to or it's not as interesting, what advice do you have for couples that still love each other and still want to be together, but the the attraction part of it is kind of slipping away with time. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is to normalize that with almost all long-term couples that happens. So the the limerence phase, that honeymoon phase is replaced by secure attachment. Mm -hmm. Secure attachment is amazing. It's that like comfort, it's love, it's all those things. It's not super sexy, right? And what it's really not is new. So novelty is the seed of human desire for a lot of people. It's that newness. And that's part of our biology, our limbic system. Um, In long-term couples, that goes away. So you've really got to do your due diligence to figure out what could we do that's new. Is that a new place? Meaning, do we go on vacation? Couples tend to have better sex when they're out of their home environment just because it's something new. So a hotel room, you know, a big vacation, a little vacation, um, toys, role-playing, bringing in porn, not bringing in porn, just a sexy movie, reading erotica to each other, listening to erotica. There's, there's things that you can do to mix things up. Um, on the other end of that spectrum, bringing someone else into the, to the situation with you, having a guest star, deciding to open up the relationship. There's all kinds of ways to handle this. Yeah. I just love the, I think that it is important to normalize it. Mm-hmm. I think that that is like the biggest piece because I see a lot of couples in long-term relationships get into trouble here because, and like, we're still young so long. It's not even that long, but like, it's so easy to get into trouble there because we don't talk about it. So nobody knows that that's normal. Mm -hmm. It's so normal. Yeah. The limerence phase, generally 18 months. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, But it can, you know, and, and fire needs air. This is from Esther Perel. So the more you're together, you're going to feel that more of the comfort, more of the security, less of that raw desire, Mm -hmm. create some autonomy, right? Take a trip. You take a trip, you take a trip, get space to miss each other and then come back together. Yeah. I love that. And kind of on the other end of things, I think something that's, that's really 
by normalizing that that's what's going to happen, by being aware that two people putting in, two or however, putting in yeah. effort to to really keep things intentional and, and to open up the conversation it makes such a difference. Like, yeah. like just, just saying, Hey, you know, are you open to this? Are you open to that? And just like knowing, um, because I think very often we either people and their relationships because they start to internalize that maybe that lack of attraction, you know, has a deeper meaning. Or, um, I think people accept, Oh, well, you know, we're married. Oh, we've been in a relationship for X amount of time. Like this is supposed to happen. Our, our sex life is supposed to suck. But like, that's not the reality. No, like, there are right. so many options to keep things exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just all about kind of normalizing, acknowledging and putting in that effort. Because I think there's, it's so beautiful to know that two people want to continue to work on making something exciting that doesn't need to, to, I don't know what the word is, to like dissipate. Yeah, right, right. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. So would you say, is sex therapy something for only people that are experiencing issues around sex? Or is it something that could be good for everybody? I mean, I think it's good for everybody. And most people only come in if they're struggling. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I get it. Here's my advice. Don't struggle for too long because people build up resentments against each other. It just gets, it can get fairly broken. So if you notice something, any of these issues we've talked about, like, oh, I'm really having trouble initiating. I am so in my head because I'm worried about my body image. I feel like my partner isn't attracted to me anymore. Like after several weeks of this or a couple months of this, these feelings like that is long enough. I think that would be the time to reach out to, to a therapist. Absolutely. And what if there, what if one partner is really oh, great with going to that mm -hmm. and the other is really not or apprehensive or not open to that idea at all? Um, I would hope they would give it a try. Even if they're apprehensive, I would hope they would give it a try. Otherwise, I, it's okay for the, the partner that wants to do it to come on their own and the sex therapist can give them tips and things to communicate to their partner. It's not as ideal, but it works. Yeah. And then maybe if you come back with all these fun new tips. Right. Then they would come. They'll want to go. Yeah. Yeah. So while we're on that topic, so a sex therapist is a little bit different than a regular therapist. So my advice is if you're really having a sexual issue, especially if it's around anything that's not normal, meaning if it's around, I can't have an orgasm, if it's around fetishes, if it's around open relationships. So kind of these newer concepts that not everyone is familiar with. I really want you to go see a sex therapist, not just a marriage and family therapist, because you want someone who's sex positive. Yes. I have just heard horrible stories of someone coming in to discuss a fetish that was consensual and pleasurable that they were feeling a little bit bad about right. and a therapist shames them. Like that is absolutely not what you want to happen. Or my wife and I are thinking about opening our relationship and the therapist is just like, oh my God, that's a recipe for disaster. Definitely don't do that. Wow. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I, I wouldn't have even thought no, of that. Thought and it's really again. important because exactly. it just like, I mean, with just like a regular therapist, you want to make sure right. that you're going to the right person right, someone that you vibe with someone that's not going to shame you it's going to be there to just listen and understand so I mean that totally makes sense and I'm really glad that you clarified that yeah and I all therapists are good at just you know the the ones that are not sex positive um I would just worry about because we don't want anyone to feel worse about sex than they already are at that point Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. That makes well, a lot of sense. I feel like we've learned so much from you. Seriously, I think our audience is going to be so grateful to you. There is so much, you know, conflicting information out there um, about this particular topic. There is so much shame there. I just, I think you're going to bring so much value. So thank you endlessly for, for being here.
Oh my gosh, this was so fantastic. You guys, these were really great questions. Um, I would love to come on again. And if we want to yes. do something around the recovery of sexual health after sexual trauma, mm-hmm. um, you know where to find me. We absolutely would. Before we let you go, Dr. Holly, we just want to ask you two quick little things yeah. that we mm-hmm. asked everyone. This question I'm framing more uh, for the topic of the conversation, but if you could tell your 20s year old self one thing about sex, what would it be? To get out of my head. Mm. Yeah, really. (laughs) Just to get out of my head. um, I would tell myself to think, let myself sink into desire in other areas of my life too. My 20s were a little bit too rigid, constricted, controlling food, controlling exercise. When you control those two things, you're going to start controlling sex and not really be able to get all of the pleasure out of it that you deserve. So I would tell myself to get out of my head, appreciate the healthy body that I have and sink more deeply into pleasure. I love that. Wow. Yeah. That's so powerful. We have so many women on here talk about their history with body image and, and controlling food and exercise and so many things that have to do with our image in general and the way we perceive ourselves and the way others perceive us. So I think that piece with all the guests yeah. that we've had on is really powerful. Um, Because the way that we feel about ourselves so translates to the way that we, um, you know, the way that we are in in a sexual situation for sure. So that's really I I usually say, like, um, show me how someone has sex and I'll show you how they live life. So, yeah, Yeah. so if they're they're anxious in the bedroom, they're probably anxious in their life. If they're super controlling, they're going to be controlling if they're narcissistic. They're going to be narcissistic in the bedroom. So I was anxious and I was super controlling in my 20s. And I'm like, okay, enough of that. Enough of that. Wow. That's so powerful. That really just yeah. blew my mind. I feel like we have so many more things to discuss. But <laughs> we're, she'll, she's going to come back, everybody. Don't on. worry. Yeah. Send us those questions. Um, but Dr. Holly, our last question for you is where can people find you if they just want more info about you or if they want to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, um, at Dr. Holly Richmond, and it's dr. H-O-L-L-Y-R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D. And then my website will connect you to everything. And it's just um, drhollyrichmond.com. Again, D-R-H-O-L-L-Y-R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D.com. Perfect. Oh, we, Dr. Holly, we cannot thank you enough. Yes. You were so incredible. We loved having you on. We did. Oh, thank you again for having me. Um, this was so much fun. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.